to read now from God's Word. And the first reading tonight is from Leviticus. We'll be reading uh, from parts of chapters 8 to 10, starting at chapter 8, verse 1, which you can find on page 75. So chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses... Bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams, and the basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses said to the assembly, This is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He also tied the ephod to him by its skillfully woven waistband, so it was fastened on him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the urim and thummim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred diadem, on the front of it, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the basin with its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, and put headbands on them, as the Lord commanded Moses. Uh, We're continuing over the page. In chapter 9, verse 15. Aaron then brought the offering that was for the people. He took the goat for the people's sin offering and slaughtered it and offered it for a sin offering as he did with the first one. He brought the burnt offering and offered it in the prescribed way. He also brought the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar in addition to the morning's burnt offering. He slaughtered the ox and the ram as the fellowship offering for the people. His sons handed him the blood and he sprinkled it against the altar on all sides. But the fat portions of the ox and the ram, the fat tail, the layer of fat, the kidneys and the covering of the liver, these they laid on the breasts and then Aaron burned the fat on the altar. Aaron waved the breasts and the right thigh before the Lord as a wave offering, as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honoured. Aaron remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uzziel, and said to them, Come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. 
So they came and carried them, still in their tunics, outside the camp, as Moses ordered. Our next reading is from the book of Hebrews, and you can find that, find chapter 7, on page 849, if you'd like to follow along. And we're starting from verse 11 in chapter 7. What you've just heard from Leviticus that um, Steph has read to us was the start of the um, priesthood, um, the induction of priests, and so started what's called the Levitical priesthood, um, and those priests could only come from the tribe of Levi, which is significant, as we'll read in the book of Hebrews. Um, Also mentioned in this verse to help make things clearer to understand is a fellow called Melchizedek. He was both king and high priest of Salem back in the very early sections of the Old Testament. Salem was the name of Jerusalem before it became known as Jerusalem. So from verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come? one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that, tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as, um, sorry, not, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The formal regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of these priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. 
For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steph. Okay, who wants to preach on that passage tonight? Any volunteers to take my place? It's, a, it's tough, it's a tricky, it's obscure, but it is full of gold. And I do pray that uh, you will leave here uh, with your eyes again fixed on Jesus, who is the high priest. So let me pray. Uh, Lord, we stand before you tonight as people who need to have our minds uh, transformed and our hearts transformed and our wills transformed. Lord, we pray that as your word goes out tonight, you would do just that, not for our sake alone, but for the glory of your Son. We pray in his name. Amen. As I was preparing to preach, uh, by Thursday night, this was going to be my opening question. How do we enter into the presence of God? How do you, as a a person who is sinful, who is disobedient, how can you possibly enter into the presence of a God who is holy, who is intrinsically unapproachable? How can you enjoy that intimacy and that friendship with a God who is pure and holy? It's a good question. It's a question that Leviticus answers. Look at this verse from Hebrews chapter 4. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, not Aaron, a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, who is that? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence, so we may may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now that's an extraordinary verse. It's telling us that unlike the Old Testament people who had to go to a priest to enter into the presence of God, to experience the presence of God, we can waltz straight into the presence of God because of a man called Jesus. It's an extraordinary verse. It tells you that if you put your trust in Jesus, your faith in Jesus, you right here, right now, can enter into the throne room of grace. You can come before a holy, righteous, perfect God because of Jesus. Have you got that? Uh, Because of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Because of Jesus, you have access to God. Because of Jesus, you can know God. You can enjoy the intimacy with him as your heavenly father. Because of Jesus, your sin that rightly separates you from a righteous, holy God has been dealt with. And because of Jesus, you have access into the presence of God. That's extraordinary. But my guess is you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I know that. It's kind of the the, the Sunday school answer. How do we enter the presence of God? The answer is Jesus. So I decided to to rewrite my opening question. And I came up with this. 
Why do we have such what I've called Christless Christianity? If Jesus is the way to God, if Jesus gives us access to God, if Jesus means we can enter the presence of God, if Jesus means you can enter the throne room of grace, why do we, why do you have such Christless Christianity? Because I reckon that is the application of Leviticus. If you've understood that Jesus is the high priest, the question is why? Why do you therefore live your life as though he's not your high priest? Why in this church, why in your lives do you leave Jesus out of so much of your life? You know, we assume on Jesus, we presume on Jesus, but we've lost that wonder, we've lost that amazement that he is our high priest, that you can have access to God and you can enter the very presence of God. Let me give you some examples. I think we have Christless prayer lives if you have a prayer life at all. Because of Jesus, he is there interceding for you. You don't go to a priest, you go to Jesus, and he takes your request to God. And yet many of us, we don't pray at all. And if we do pray, be honest with yourself, how often do you think, I can only pray because of Jesus? Thank you, Jesus, that you're my high priest, so I can pray. I've noticed in my own personal prayer life in the last few months, I've subtly been, been shifting. And I've almost sort of stopped saying that little phrase, in the name of Jesus, or in Jesus' name, or for Jesus' sake at the end of the prayers. But it's important I keep saying in Jesus' name to keep reminding myself that without Jesus and my priest, I can't just talk to God. I think we have Christless church. As you got into your car tonight, as you drove to church, as you walked through the door, did you stop and think, it's only because Jesus is my high priest that I can meet with God tonight? If Jesus hadn't come, I would be bringing a sacrifice, I'd be putting on these garments, I'd be handing something over to the priest. If it wasn't for Jesus, I couldn't meet with God's people tonight. We just forget it's all because of Jesus. I think we have Christless music in our churches. We sing endless songs telling God what we'll do for him. I will do this for you. I'll run into your arms. I'll love you. I'll do all this sort of stuff. But we can't do any of that if Jesus is not our high priest. And please, 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 please don't think that if you sing a song often enough, you can enter more closely into the presence of God. Or somehow you can invite God into our meeting by the singing. It's because of Jesus as a high priest. And I do think we have Christless preaching. Many of us want to come to church to be told what to do and what not to do. Or they want to be leaving church just feeling a bit better about themselves. But if I just preached a sermon on the glory and the wonder of Jesus we'd somehow leave here dissatisfied. What am I supposed to do with that this week? And we have Christless pastoring. I keep hearing people saying, I need to be pastored better. Uh, What they really mean by that is I want someone to meet up with me, have a cup of coffee, listen to my problems, and then to pat me on the back and off we go. 
What they really need is to hear more about Jesus as their high priest, the one that will give them access to their heavenly Father. I think many people have Christless faith. Yes, Christless faith. Oh, their faith is good until the trials comes and the suffering comes, and then suddenly the wheels fall off. As though somehow the the facts of Calvary have changed and the facts of the empty tomb has changed and and Jesus is no longer their high priest. Just because we're suffering, just because we go through our trials, doesn't mean our faith has changed. But I really think that we just have uh, Christless walks with God. Because we just wake up every day and we just presume on Jesus and assume that of course he's my high priest and of course he's my sacrifice and of course he's my saviour and there's no of course. And what I want to do tonight is to show you how glorious Jesus is as your high priest. I want to show you that he is the one who will usher you right into the throne room of God. And I hope that you want that. I really hope that you long for that intimacy, that close walk with your God as your Heavenly Father. I hope you're not satisfied with what I call the the Facebook friendship with God. You know, you know about Him, what He likes and doesn't like, and you may write on each other's walls from time to time, but there's no real relationship. Well, to do that, you need Jesus. And we're going to look at Leviticus 8-10 to to show you how glorious Jesus really is. See what a difference he made. If you just joined us, Leviticus is about a God who is holy and God's people who are sinful. And we saw from 1-7, to it's all instructions 1-7, to it's all about sacrifice. The, the, the gracious God forgives sinners through sacrifice. If you were an Israelite uh, 3,000 years ago, every day, bring an animal Sacrifice the animal, slaughter the animal, receive forgiveness because blood is shed. But you've got a problem still because even if you had the right animal at the right time and the right slaughter and the right attitude and the right blood without a priest, your animal was useless. Unless you had a priest there to offer the sacrifice on your behalf, unless you had a priest there who could take the blood into the most holy place, your sacrifice was useless. No priest, no forgiveness. No priest, no access to God. You needed a priest. And that's my first point tonight, that God's people needed the priest. And praise God, he provided that priest. Look at 8 verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron. Now, does that surprise you? The Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron. God is choosing Aaron to be his first high priest. Does that surprise you at all? Probably not, because his book is like, I don't know, about Greek or Russian to most of us. It should surprise you. Uh, because God had given all the, the commands about the priesthood, what they would wear, the ordination ceremony, etc., etc., way back in Exodus chapter 28 and 29. So, so what happened between Exodus 28 and 29 and Leviticus chapter 8? In Exodus 32, Moses is up the mountain with God. Where are God's people? They're down at the bottom of the mountain. 
Who's leading God's people down the bottom of the mountain? A man called Aaron. What are they doing at the bottom of the mountain? They're building a golden calf. Uh, who was it that gave the command to build the golden calf? Aaron. Who was it who told him to, to build this cast and to worship this idol? It was Aaron. Who told the people that this golden calf had rescued them from slavery in Egypt? It was Aaron. And yet God, in his mercy, chose Aaron to be the first priest. Doesn't that surprise you? It should actually warm your heart because God can use even uh, sinful people like Aaron in his work. It is glorious that God would choose a sinful man like Aaron to be the first high priest. What a comfort. God chose him and then he consecrated him. That's all the details of chapter 8. This ordination ceremony that described here it lasts for a whole week. And my ordination ceremony lasted about two hours. And most of it was really boring. This lasted a whole week. Can you imagine that? This is what they would look like. That's the high priest. See if you can spot it as I, as I read these verses. 8 verse 6. Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and he washed them with water, that outer cleansing as a symbol of the inner cleansing. And he put the tunic on Aaron. He tied a sash around him. He clothed him with the robe and he put the ephod on him. The ephod is that, that purple and red and golden thing with the, the big shoulder pads, a bit like Joan Collins in the 1980s. And then you've got the breastplate, uh, verse 8. He placed the, the breastpiece on him uh, with those 12 stones, the 12 tribes of Israel. And he put the urim and the thummim in the breastpiece. No one really understands what the, the urim and the thummim are. He placed a turban on Aaron's head. And he set a gold plate, the sacred diadem, on front of it, as the Lord commanded Moses. On that gold plate, it would have the words, Holy to the Lord, set apart for God. And then the bizarre things happens. Just flick over to 8 verse 23. Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood, and he put it on the, the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and the thumb of his right hand, and the big toe of his right foot. All that means is he's, he's setting Aaron apart for God. As some people have said, it's the ears to listen to God, the, the hands to serve God, the feet to walk in God's ways. Whatever it is, he's saying, this visual spectacle is saying, this man is set apart for me. When you saw this man, you would think, that's the man I need, so I have access to God. That's the man I must go and see to have access to God. But this man had to be obedient. This man had to be obedient. There's one phrase repeated 11 times in chapter 8. It starts in verse 9. As the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 13. As the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 17. As the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 21. As the Lord commanded Moses. See, if I was this man... I would probably be asking the question, why? God, why do I have to do this? Why wear this stupid ephod and this stupid turban? And God would say, because I've decided that's what you must do. If you really believe I'm God, you will obey me. 8 verse 35. You must stay at the entrance of the tent of meeting day and night for seven days. 
and do what the Lord requires so you will not die. For that is what I've, I've been commanded. And we read that verse and we think, ah, oh, that's just an idle threat, isn't it? Uh, surely he doesn't have to do exactly what God commanded. He, he does. Because if you remember the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, down in chapter 10, they did disobey God and the consequences were catastrophic. 10 verse 1, they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. And so what happened to them? Well, they died. This is an extraordinary thing here. Just flick your eyes up to 9 verse 24. Uh, when the glory of the Lord appears, 9 verse 24, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, and the people rejoiced. Uh, but when the, the priest disobeyed, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and, and consumed the priests, and they died. No wonder Aaron is silent in 10 verse 3. Now why? Why is it so important that this man obeys God? And here's the answer. Because God's priest was a mediator. That's what they needed. That's what we need, a mediator, a go-between between us and God. Uh, someone who can bring our sacrifices to a, a holy God. Someone who can draw the holy God into our presence. And his name was the priest. 9 verse 7 is a key verse. Moses said to Aaron, Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself. He had to do that first because he himself was sinful but then he sacrificed the offering for the people and made atonement for them he appeased God's anger on their behalf as the Lord commanded well, let's go back to the Old Testament if you brought your animal sacrifice to the, to the priest he would take the sacrifice and he would leave you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You couldn't go in. You could not go in. And he would take your sacrifice behind the curtain, he would sprinkle some blood, and then he would come out, and you would be hanging outside, waiting, am I forgiven? Am I forgiven? Am I forgiven? And the priest would say the words, you're forgiven. You see, he mediated between you and God, between you and a holy God. But much, 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 much more than that, he actually, actually mediated God to the people. Because our God wants to be with us. Uh, the Holy God wanted to dwell with his people. Then in 9 verse 5 he tells you that. Now they took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. And then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do. So the glory of the Lord may appear to you so that the weightiness the substance of God may appear before you and that's what happens down in 9 verse 23 Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting and when they came out they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people so the question is do you want to see the glory of God do you want to see the weightiness, the majesty, the glory of the God face to face. 
You could never do it without the priest. You would be locked outside as the priest went inside and the priest came out and he mediated, he radiated the glory of the risen Lord to the people. And that was awe-inspiring. That's why the people fell down with joy and adoration. That's what the priest does. He mediates between us and God and he reveals God's glory to us. He also teaches God's word. Uh, 10 verse 8. The Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go to the tent of meeting or you will die. Verse 10. Uh, you must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you must teach the Israelites all the decrees of the Lord has given them through Moses. That was a job, to teach the decrees of the Lord. So, so you needed this man. You needed the priest so that you could know God, so that you could enter into the presence of God. I hope you've understood this. No priest, no forgiveness. No priest, uh, no presence of God in your life. You are shut outside, unsure, unforgiven. And God in his mercy, God in his kindness, sent his priest. Now my problem is that there are some churches and some religions today where you still find these kind of priests. You ever heard about them? Elaborate ceremonies, the ornate clothes, the demands that people come to the priest to receive forgiveness. The insistence that when the priest enters the building or enters the gathering, somehow God's presence is ushered in. And I have to say, and I use this word deliberately, that is blasphemous. It is blasphemous because this Old Testament priest with his Old Testament role has been fulfilled by the great high priest. His man was called Jesus. Because what we really need, my friends, is Jesus. Remember our phrase from last week? Yea for Jesus. Yea for Jesus. He is the high priest. He's the one who, who provides the sacrifice. He's the one who ushers us into God's presence. He's the one who intercedes for us. And it's blasphemous to continue these rituals as though Jesus was never born. Just flick over to Hebrews chapter 7. It's on page 849. We'll look at a couple of verses. Verse 25. Therefore Jesus is able to save completely. Save completely those who have come to God through him. Because he always lived to intercede for them. As such a high priest meets our needs. He's holy. He's blameless. He's pure. He doesn't need to sacrifice a sin offering for himself. Because he's sinless. He's set apart from the sinners. He's exalted above the heavens, unlike the other priests. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first his own sins 
and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. See, what was the role of the Old Testament high priest? To mediate between you and God. But Jesus has done that. He's the sacrifice. He took your sins on his shoulders at Calvary so you are forgiven. There's nothing you can do to earn that forgiveness all because of Jesus. But more than that, it is through Jesus that God reveals his glory to us. Do you remember when Jesus stepped into the world? John chapter 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his, his glory. You don't go to a priest to see the glory of God. You go to the person called Jesus to see the glory of God. He is the eternal high priest. And that means, my friends, that as we sit here in this place, in this building, not a temple, in this building, we sit in the very presence of of God if you believe in Jesus. You don't need a priest to raise his hands to, to give you a blessing. You don't need a priest to, to mediate God to you because Jesus has invited you in. Yes, yeah, sure, today it's by faith. One day it will be by sight. But you do sit in the presence of God. Let me give you a few things as we close you don't need mediating priests anymore I'll wait for that phone call to finish you don't need a priest to mediate for you it's almost like living in in Germany post Berlin war it would be stupid to live in East Germany today as though the wall was still up. It would be stupid to live today as though Jesus never came. No Christian minister should ever call himself a priest. Please never call me a priest. Otherwise, people might assume I'm some sort of go-between between you and God. Please don't have people dressing up like priests. Because visually that is very unhelpful. That sort of touch and see religion is gone. Because Jesus is here. I hate wearing dog collars because I'm not a dog. Uh, I would never wear robes. Because visually that is very, very unhelpful. Our saints of old, the great reformers, Thomas Cranmer, they fought hard. They fought hard to get rid of calling that thing an altar. Because it's not an altar. It's a table to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. They fought hard to stop the priest standing between the altar and the people as though he's some sort of mediator because our mediator is the person of Jesus Christ. You do not need a mediating priest anymore. His name is Jesus. And why am I pushing this? Because I still think some of you think that my role or a minister's role is somehow to bring you closer to God. Don't come to me. Go to Jesus. Don't go to any religious person. Go to Jesus. But I don't think that's our real danger. I think more subtly we have what I call praying priests. 
You know, there's those great mature Christians that you want to pray for you on your behalf. A Christian man said to me this week, oh, would you say a prayer for me? And I felt like saying, say your own prayer. You know, you know Jesus. You don't need me to pray for you. I, I love praying for you. I love praying for you, but I'm not praying on your behalf. You can do that today if you know Jesus. And I think we have created a whole new role of what I call worship priests. You know, the song leader who ushers you into the presence of God. The song leader who says, you know, just get in the, the zone. We, well, we need to invite God into our meeting tonight. That is blasphemy. Because Jesus is our priest. But more than that, you know, I reckon our biggest danger is this. We've created pre- preaching priests. I need to go to church to hear a sermon to draw closer to God. I need Paul to preach the word to be closer to God. And somehow you need the minister to preach a sermon so you know God better and grow in your godliness. You don't need that. It's helpful. It is very, very helpful. And of course, the New Testament talks about people being equipped to teach the word and gathering together to sit under the word. But you've got the word and you've got the spirit if you know Jesus. You can sit and know Jesus better by yourself. I hope these sermons are helpful, but they're not essential for your own relationship with God. See, my job is really to pastor people, and I do that through preaching. But I do that by pointing people to to Jesus. Please don't idolize preachers. I do pray you don't uh, listen to preachers more than you actually read the Bible yourself. I do pray you don't hang off every word a preacher said rather than the word of God says. And I do pray that you actually uh, look at a sermon and ask the question, do I know Jesus better because of this sermon? I hope you've got it tonight. If Jesus hadn't come, you'd still need sacrifices. If Jesus hadn't come, you still need that high priest. If Jesus hadn't come, you could not see the glory of God. If Jesus hadn't come, you could not approach the throne of grace with confidence. And so I hope you're sitting there saying, yea for Jesus. Yea for Jesus. So as I close, let me ask you, in what area of your life have you shifted into Christless Christianity? What area have you sidelined Jesus? Is, is it your prayer lives? Have you stopped saying in Jesus' name, stop recognizing he's the one who intercedes for you? Have you stopped praying, recognizing you just, just bring your request to God because of Jesus? Is it your church life? You actually just come here to meet with people. Or you don't prepare your hearts. You don't leave here saying, well, I've met with God because of Jesus. Is it your Bible reading? You go to the Bible just to find the answers to your problems. Rather than go to the Bible to see Jesus. Or maybe it's your whole life. That God's become this Facebook friend that you write on his wall from time to time rather than that deep personal intimacy with because of because of your high priest whose name is 
is Jesus. The song says it well. We have a priest who is there interceding, pouring his grace on our lives day by day. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. So I'm saying yay for Jesus. Yay for Jesus. And I hope you are too.